Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. I don't know about the rest of you, but there's enough hate going around that you might as well hate yourself for loving me. I have just never, well, I shouldn't say that. It's been years now that the level of hate has just been virtually intolerable. You know, I came from the like peace and love generation. We were walking around putting daisies in our hair and making a peace sign, wearing peace signs and burning our bras. And now you go online and it's just nasty, horrible people fighting each other in full public view. And uh, no sympathy for anybody. People are just mean. Which is kind of interesting to me because I remember when talk radio was like the meanest venue out there. You would never imagine that people would be rude to one another on network television or even on the cable news stations when they began. And now... I have seen an amazing amount of nastiness, and I don't even watch the stuff. I see excerpts and clips or reels from television because I don't watch television by and large. That's not to say I never watch it. I do occasionally watch a little bit, but it's just frustrating to me. If you're as attention deficit disordered as I am, you just can't maintain any interest in those images that are being flashed faster than the speed of light at you, and that make no sense at all. The Israel-Hamas deal is now in its uh, fifth day, right? And it was supposed to end, and now they've uh, agreed that they're going to extend it. For every 10 people that get released, it'll get extended a day. I don't know about the rest of you, but I think this is suicidal on the part of Israel. I'm actually quite certain that this is a bad idea. And no matter how many times people say that, including leaders, people who should know what they're talking about, former secretaries of state, uh, military leaders, and of course a lot of people who are pundits of one kind or another, but the terms of this ceasefire couldn't be better for Hamas. I mean, the only thing, I think Alex Berenson on his Substack column, which is called Unreported Truths, I think he asked the question, is it possible that Israel has a bunch of side deals with Arab nations? Because if not, this is really a terrible idea. The pause is only going to give Hamas fighters a chance to, well, first, of all, first and foremost, to rest. I mean, they've been bombarded. 
by Israel. So if they get to rest, they get to rebuild their defenses and they get to rearm. And, and the thing that disturbs me is the symbolism in all this. By releasing a hostage for a prisoner, it's like agreeing that the people in jail in Israel, the Palestinian criminals in its prisons, are no different than the civilians that the Hamas terrorists grabbed out of their beds and out of their homes and stole away from their parents or their children. How does that symbolically work for Israel? It doesn't. The release of these hostages, some of whom we already find out, are going to be paid salaries for their martyred activities. This was only a couple of weeks after they began the invasion. And what Israel has now done is it's given the the people who hate Israel, the anti-Semites out there, plenty of opportunity to say, see, see, the, the invasion wasn't even necessary. They should have done diplomatic things from the start. But that's not true. Because they've only managed to kill one of the senior Hamas commanders that I know of, the commander of the Northern Gaza Brigade. So what you end up saying to the world who hates you anyway, Israel, is that, oh, you know, well, maybe uh, we shouldn't be killing thousands of people to get one mid-level general. And more importantly, it's the moral high ground. Israel is squandering what's left of the last bit of sympathy the world has for it. It should have told Hamas that taking hostages is a war crime and we're never going to you know, agree to a ceasefire as long as you have hostages. That's the line that it should have drawn in the stand, and then they should have stuck to it. And they should have said it over and over and over. As long as Hamas has hostages, Israel views all of Gaza as a legitimate military target. But they don't have that moral clarity anymore. You can't call them, you can't say Hamas is ISIS and then be willing to swap prisoners with it. And once the ceasefire actually ends, whether it's today or in two days, Again, all on Hamas's timetable, Israel's going to be stuck in the worst of all possible places. You know, you can't talk tough and say, oh, this won't end until we destroy Hamas and then play footsie with Hamas. Israel's going to be in a terrible position, facing an impossible choice. Either they push deeper into Gaza and face the likelihood that they will kill many more civilians and the world will continue to hate them, or they have to pull back, and they will not even come close to achieving the goal of destroying Hamas. The deal is so terrible that it actually does make me wonder how the Israeli government, how Benjamin Netanyahu could possibly have agreed to it. The only thing, the only two possibilities that I can come up with is one, that the Biden White House even though it says publicly that it supports Israel, force them to do it. And then the other possibility is that, as I said at the top of this segment, that Israel has a bunch of secret side deals with other Arab countries that, that promise they will help 
to destroy Hamas's leadership. But they better do it quickly. They haven't got months. They haven't got years. And of course, the last possibility, and I think Alex Berenson brought this up, brought this up was that uh, uh, Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister, is just trying to stay, you know, keep his pol- political life alive, survive this. Because there's been a lot of pressure from inside of Israel to release the hostages, and, and he buckled. Instead of telling the people, his people, the truth, that allowing the hostages to be taken was actually a failure on the part of the Israeli government. But you don't compound the terrible mistake by making a terrible deal. Because these are innocent people. I don't think any competent leader would have made this deal. I really don't. And, and everyone knows I'm a big uh, supporter of Bibi Netanyahu. But first and foremost, I don't understand how the October 7th attack actually happened at all. Israel is one of the most competent anti-terrorist nations, is probably the most competent one. Where did they go wrong? Nobody's talking about that. Oh, not now. We'll talk about that later. No, no, no. We need to talk about it now. I'm considering that, you know, the the future of Israel and certainly the future of uh, Bibi Netanyahu is highly questionable. If you can't protect your citizens, if you can't protect civilians, and in the in the attempt to protect future disaster, you end up bombarding Gaza and releasing prisoners, I don't think you're going to stand in good stead with the world community. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is a secret plan. Obviously, if I knew it, it wouldn't be a secret plan. And maybe they, you know, made some kind of deal with Qatar or uh, Saudi. I don't know that that they're going to return all those leaders that are currently living in Qatar to Tel Aviv so that they can be tried and then hopefully executed? Because at the moment, it doesn't look like what's going on. And if that's not what's going on, then I don't have a lot of hope for the future of Israel. And that pains me enormously. I'm a realist, and I think that bothers people that I can be a big supporter of just about any good cause and I can condemn any bad cause. But I know when the rubber meets the road, it doesn't matter what side of the issue you're on, you've got to be consistent and you've got to believe that you're in the right. And then you can do what needs to be done, but you cannot do what needs to be done if you're constantly worrying about what the world thinks of you. That's always been the problem for Israel. They're so hated and they're so concerned. It's like Donald Trump, who used to try and play up to the major uh, mainstream media outlets, thinking that if he was uh, nicer to them, that they would be nicer to him. That's just not how it works. When people pick a fight with you, when people poke you in the chest, you got to clobber them. You don't give in. Because if you give in, they just roll all over you. And, and Donald Trump, of all people, should know that. Of course, the one thing they never would have expected in the case of Donald Trump is that 
they have literally turned people who probably can't stand Donald Trump into Donald Trump supporters. Because I'm looking at 13 different polls. And like I said, polls are just a Kodak snapshot. They're only good for the moment they're taken. And they're only good within the context of who the poll was administered to. But out of 13 polls that I looked at in the last 24 hours, Biden continues to slide into the Netherlands and uh, Donald Trump gets stronger, much stronger. I don't care how many times they go, oh, Nikki Haley, Nikki. Donald Trump's going to get the nomination. There's no question about it, unless there were uh, an extraordinary event. And so I'm sure they, they didn't figure on that one any more than Israel's figuring on the strength with which Hamas may come back because of this delay in finishing them off. Anyway, that's, uh, you know, that's where I stand on the issue. I've been talking about it for weeks now, and my opinions haven't really changed. But when I looked at this list of the 300 Palestinians that they could possibly release if they extend this, I'm really sick to my stomach. You know, we get back a four-year-old child whose parents were killed by Hamas, and they get back, you know, terrorists that blew themselves up or, or, or set off explosives. How is that? You know, they're always talking about proportionality. How is that proportional? You know, some woman who blows herself up in a car at a checkpoint is traded for an innocent four-year-old whose parents were killed in front of them. Yeah, there's something terribly amiss right now. And I, if nobody else is going to say it, I am. Don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app. That way you can listen to the No Restraint podcast. You can participate in our contests. Listen to all the podcasts. We have some great podcasts coming out at 850. And... You can also participate in the contest. If not, go visit the website, 850wftl.com. Quick break. I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, what can I tell you? The idea that we're so fixated and focused on Ukraine and on uh, what's happening in the uh, Asian Pacific, and of course, what's happening in the Middle East. Really, sometimes we're ignoring some pretty, pretty big stories that are happening right here in our own country. For instance, there, when we were living in the Trump era, and for me, those were good years. I, I know that uh, there was a lot of unrest and there was a lot of bickering and there was a lot of interfamily squabbling and all the rest of it. And I didn't enjoy that part. But financially, it was a good time. Until COVID hit, it was a great time. And I was pretty much trusting that we were safe. Obviously, 
you're never completely safe, but I, I wasn't worried about wars. I knew that there were problems in the Middle East, but I, I felt as though most of the people were on their best behavior because they simply didn't know what Donald Trump would do. You know, he could show up in North Korea and walk across the dematerial, de, I can't even say that in one breath, demilitarized zone with the little rocket man who he had literally called the little rocket man virtually to his face. But the little rocket man didn't do anything. As a matter of fact, he, he seemed kind of enamored of Donald Trump, much like he is enamored of uh, that crazy basketball player, Dennis Rodman. You know, he just likes weird guys because he is a weird guy. But I, I didn't feel as though at any given moment, even though all I was told during the 2016 election was that Donald Trump is crazy and we'll have a nuclear war the first year he's in office. He's going to bring war to the world. There's going to be World War III. I mean, I heard that a, a hundred times, okay? And that's exactly what didn't happen. I never felt any safer than I did during the Trump years. And I have not felt as unsafe as I feel now during the Biden years. And one of the things that I admired about Donald Trump was what I was talking about earlier. When he felt that an issue was very important, he pretty much stuck to his guns. I mean, he, could, he got dissuaded from building the wall because he couldn't get a congressional uh, group behind him but short of that, he pretty much gave everybody the middle finger when they told him he couldn't do certain things. There were things during his presidency that I wish he did do and I wish he could have done, but he was prevented from doing. One of those things was sending troops into these cities and states, primarily blue democratic cities and states where crime was out of control, remains out of control. New York City, Chicago, LA, Detroit. So he was talking this weekend and he was literally calling those places that I just named crime dens. I agree. He said the next time I'm not waiting for permission. One of the things I did was let them run it and we're going to show how bad a job they do. We're not waiting. We're going to go into those cities with the military. Now, I don't know how he does that in his second term because his advisors um, have all said there are ways that the commander-in-chief can deploy the military even within the country's borders. It's just not done very often or really uh, is never done by Democrats. He's going to be aggressive. If he wins, there's going to be mass deportations. There are going to be travel bans imposed on some of those countries that he imposed them on the first time. And when you really think about it, the laws that were originally crafted, the Insurrection Act, allows presidents to call on reserve or active duty military units to respond when there's unrest in the states. And that authority is not reviewable by the courts. Now there is a guard, there are a few guardrails, 
but all they do is require the president to request that the participants disperse. Okay, so what you can do is you don't want to send tanks rolling down Main Street. But you do want to tell people you will be arrested if you don't disperse. When I think of some of the videotape that I've seen in the last couple of months of these flash mobs, you know, I remember when a flash mob was a bunch of people who would go to a mall and break into song and dance, right? That was a flash mob. Now a flash mob is emptying the shelves of a designer purse company or or the Gap. How long are we going to tolerate that kind of stuff? It was 1792 when they passed the act. That was only four years after the Constitution was ratified. And it's basically a compilation or an amalgamation of different statutes that have been enacted between then and the 1870s, a time when there was little in the way of local law enforcement. So it really was crafted at a time that no longer exists, for a country that no longer exists. It's also one of the most substantial exceptions to the Posse Comitatus Act, which generally prohibits using the military for law enforcement purposes. But I'm telling you, I will not doubt that Donald Trump is going to use the military against drug cartels, which, by the way, so does Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley uh, agree should be done. Now, there's a lot of things he'll have to iron out or his administration will have to iron out to do this. You know, people take an oath when they join the military. People also take an oath when they become the president. And they also appoint people who will back them up in their oaths. He's already talking about bringing back Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, I think that's great. He w- should, would have been a great national security advisor. And then they destroyed him. Pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. A bunch of nonsense. Of course, he was pardoned by Trump. Flynn has said that, you know, if, if Donald Trump wanted to seize voting machines and order the military in some states to help rerun the election, he could do that. But we'll see. Still to this day, most people in the military, well, I wouldn't say most, but a substantial number of people who serve in the military support Donald Trump. A a survey of more than 94,000 voters nationwide showed that 59% of U.S. military veterans voted for Trump in the 2020 presidential election. In the 2022 midterms, 57% Uh, of military veterans supported Republican candidates. Now, we're going to see. You know, presidents have have issued a total of 40 proclamations invoking the insurrection law. Some of these uh, have been done multiple times for the same crisis. Lyndon Johnson invoked it three times in Baltimore, in Chicago, and in Washington in response to the unrest after the assassination of Martin Luther King, Jr., During the civil rights area, 
President Johnson, John F. Kennedy, and Dwight Eisenhower used the law to protect students and activists who were desegregating schools. Eisenhower sent the 101st Airborne to Little Rock, Arkansas, to protect the black students that were integrating Central High School. After, of course, that state's governor activated the National Guard to, to keep them out. George H.W. Bush was the last president to use the Insurrection Act, which was in response to riots in L.A. in 1992 after the whole Rodney King incident and repeated attempts to invoke the act in a new Trump presidency could put a lot of pressure on military leaders who would face consequences for their actions, even if they do them at the direction of the president. There are a lot of institutional checks and balances in our country. They're pretty well developed legally. And it'll make it hard for a president to just do something randomly out of the blue. But Trump is pretty good at developing a, a, a train of thought that might lead to a place where there's enough mayhem, there's enough violence and enough legal murkiness to call in the military. So I'm one of these people who say he's really the last hope to restore any kind of, if not peace, at least order to these here United States of America. Anyway, I got to take a quick break. Stay right where you are. I'll be right back. So I was trying to figure out, like, what is the relevance of, you know, doing Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and all this other stuff? Is it still as relevant as it was when we used to go to stores? and shop because I, I get the feeling that most of the shopping that's being done even on those days is being done online. So why does it matter what day they do it? I think they should just make the entire months of November and December cyber whatever and push more people to, to buying online. I can't even imagine why I would go to a store, especially when I have so much family that lives outside of Florida. So for me to buy gifts and then have to wrap them and ship them across the country when I can log on to a website, whether it's Walmart or you know The Gap or, or Amazon, and have the gift delivered directly to the people that it's for. I mean, I'm just trying to be realistic about this because I started looking at my emails a week ago and all I could think to do was delete, 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 delete. Everything was, here's your special deal. Don't forget to buy. And it gets overwhelming. If I knew I had a whole month and these deals were going to be there for a whole month, I'd be very content. You know, I'd have a chance to call up my daughter and say, what is it that the boys want this year? I could call up my son and say, what does Nixie want? What does Carter want? You know, it would make my life a lot easier. And, and why shouldn't they make my life a lot easier? <laughs> right? They're getting my money. And I remember when we used to, a couple of years ago, not even that long ago, we'd have dinner on Thanksgiving and my 
stepdaughter would leave the table at four o'clock and race off to whatever stores were open because they would open early for Black Friday, right? They would open at five o'clock on Thanksgiving. And she'd go racing off because, of course, if you weren't first in line, you couldn't get the uh, Sega Genesis or whatever was the hot item of the year. And you had to do that. But now you don't have to do that. Now you just open up your laptop. And if that's what you want, you type it in to the search engine. And before you know it, you have a variety of stores to choose from, and none of them doesn't matter to you if they're brick and mortar. I have no intention of walking into a brick and mortar store to buy a single gift. How about that? None. The only reason I may go into the dollar store is to buy wrapping paper, but even that, if I'm having it shipped, I don't even have to wrap it. Just uh, put the Amazon box under the tree, okay? I'll be going out to California anyway for Christmas, and I'm not schlepping a bunch of uh, gifts with me. That's not going to happen. You know, um, I have a pretty big birthday happening this week, and yeah, it's amazing how everybody sent their gifts. None of them are in wrapping paper, and many of them are not things I would have bought for myself. And all of them were basically way too expensive. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I don't care that much about the whole gift-giving thing. A friend of mine said, oh, you're not going to throw a party for yourself? This is such a big number, and you want to make sure everybody's there to celebrate. And I said, no, uh, no. My friends give to me all the time. They give me their friendship. They give me uh, plenty of attention. They give me gifts. I, I don't need to throw a big party for that. Plus, I find it uh, sort of embarrassing when everybody is paying attention to you like, you know, you did something great. It's the grace of God that I'm going to be 70. You know, that's what, that's what he promised Moses. He said three score and 10, that's what you get. I got it. You know, so you just tell him thank you and keep it moving. Throw a party. But a lot of my friends are, you know, just distraught that I'm not going to do it. And, and originally I thought it'd be nice to have a whole family get together, maybe rent a condo in Disney or something like that and bring all the kids in. And then I thought, mm, that doesn't even sound like fun. Really? At this stage in my life, like, you know, large crowds and Disney are the last thing I want on my birthday. And cake? You know, those days are kind of come and gone already. I wouldn't mind a, a really nice strawberry rhubarb pie. I don't think it's the right season for that, though. Yeah, but I, it's just maybe I never was that big on these kinds of celebrations. I guess maybe deep down inside there's a bit of a Jehovah's Witness in me or something because I find these things overwhelming and tedious for the most part. Other people really enjoy them, and I don't mind going to other people's parties because then the spotlight's not on me. You know, it's very pleasurable. But I just, you know, it's just a couple of cards, I'll be all right.
you know, my kids have paid a lot of attention to me this week. I think they get nervous. Everybody in this age group, we notice that all of a sudden our kids get very solicitous of us. Oh, are you okay, mom? Is everything, what would you like, mom? You know, I, I think that they're fearful, right? How much longer mom gonna be around? Which is fine, just, you know, be nice to me. If you're nice to me, that's the greatest gift ever. So apparently uh, Colbert, Stephen Colbert, had a ruptured appendix and his show will be off the air this week. He's uh, recovering after surgery for a ruptured appendix, uh, appendix rather. Um, I maybe ate too much turkey, I don't know. Maybe I don't feel bad at all. And I, at least I can admit it. All right, let me take a break. Don't forget coming up after me is Eric Erickson followed by Joe Pags followed by Lars Larson, followed by the overnight guys. And then on the morning show, they'll be back at 6 a.m. Jen and Bill with the South Florida morning show, nine o'clock. It'll be Brian Kilmeade, noon. Dan Bongino will be back. And then my plan is to be back on this very station at three o'clock tomorrow. But I have one segment left today. So please stay right where you are. So as if uh, Jeff Bezos didn't control everything, uh, now we find out that Amazon has grabbed the crown of biggest delivery business in the United States. It surpassed both UPS and FedEx in parcel volumes. They delivered more packages to U.S. homes in 2022 than UPS. They delivered more than FedEx in 2020. And they're on track to even widen the gap this year. The U.S. Postal Service, of course, is still the biggest parcel service by volume because it handles hundreds of millions of packages for UPS, FedEx, and Amazon. But a decade ago, Amazon was the big customer for UPS and FedEx. And nobody thought that Amazon would supplant them in the delivery business, but they did, they, they, they not only grew at this extraordinary rate, but they had a strategy that really worked. You know, they, I, I'll give you a perfect example. I like these salon pas, they're these patches that relieve, you know, muscle pain. And you can get prescription ones once in a while when you go to the doctor and they're very strong. But if you just have like an achy shoulder or, you know, just a little slight backache or something, the Salon Pass is very, very good. I, I truly um, get relief and so does my husband when we apply these. So yesterday I used the last one on my husband's back. And then I said, well, you know what? I'm going to go on Amazon and I'm going to see if I can order some of these pass because I, I need some of these patches and I, I'm not gonna have time tomorrow to go to the store and blah, blah, blah. They delivered them overnight. I mean, that's amazing to me. How do you compete with a company that you literally log on to their website at 10 o'clock at night and you wake up at seven o'clock in the morning and it's on your doorstep? That's amazing. It's absolutely a winner. And so 
I guess this is going to get better. Before Thanksgiving, just this year alone, they had delivered more than 4.8 billion packages in the United States. And they say that by the end of the year, they will deliver around 6 billion packages. Last year, they shipped over 5 billion. I mean, I can walk down here. I live in a condo. And we have a catwalk, and that's where packages get deposited by the various services. And I can walk along the catwalk on any given day, and there will be an Amazon package on at least one and often multiple doorsteps. And I'm talking about a population that resisted shopping online, resisted using uh, credit cards online, resisted buying without trying on. You know, this is an older population and yet, no kidding, there's boxes out here all the time. When I think about pet food, like does anybody actually still go to a store or do they just go to Chewy, you know, and order the food and gets delivered right to your door? Who wants to carry a 25 pound sack of uh, kitty litter? when it can be delivered right to your door. So these things are amazing. Those are only packages, by the way, that Amazon shipped from beginning to end. UPS and FedEx include packages they hand off to the postal service um, that they don't complete the whole delivery. UPS has said that its domestic volume this year is unlikely to exceed last year's 5.3 billion which includes packages delivered to customers through the post office. In the first nine months this year, UPS handled around 3.4 billion parcels domestically. Think about the quantity of goods that just gets shipped around. Really have to think twice about how in a period of time where people are experiencing so much financial discomfort, the share of deliveries keeps increasing, whether it's Amazon or FedEx or or any other. I, I don't think FedEx does any Amazon deliveries anymore. I know that UPS brings me Amazon stuff, but I don't think FedEx does. And this milestone that I'm talking about, you didn't hear a word from Amazon. I read all this in the Wall Street Journal because there's a lawsuit from the Federal Trade Commission against Amazon and the way that it competes. So they don't thump their chests. They don't wanna say we're the biggest. They're trying to keep their profile somewhat low, except when it comes to uh, Jeff Bezos and his honey on big yachts in bikinis and stuff. Then the profile gets pretty high. Overall parcel volume has dipped this year as consumers cut back on spending on goods and diverted their expenditure to services, travel, and entertainment. Well, that's only because it's in relation to what it was like during COVID when we didn't go anywhere. That was a time when Amazon really had a field day. Amazon is now number one when it comes to shipping and has built out one of the largest logistics networks ever. And our entrepreneurs can start their own franchise. They can deliver Amazon packages. I see it all the time. People show up in a rented U-Haul van 
carrying Amazon packages or out of the trunk of their car, delivering Amazon. They put on the Amazon shirt and away they go. It's like a, a new business. It's almost like Uber. And of course, early in the pandemic, that's when you saw e-commerce just reach ridiculous levels. They had hundreds of new warehouses and sorting centers and all the other logistics facilities, double the size of its network between the start of the pandemic and the end of 2021. Anyway, just thought I would throw that in. You can only talk about the misery and the war so much. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. And my plan is to be back here tomorrow at three o'clock if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then, of course, as I always say, listen to all the shows. You should have the app. And may God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. See you tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.